May in North Carolina. Flowers blooming, temperatures trending toward warmer nights, and a tease of summer in the air. There's a certain buzz about spring, one that we'll all be celebrating May 20th on World Bee Day. This international day puts a spotlight on the master pollinators and their friends and gives thanks for the vital role they play in our ecosystem. To celebrate World Bee Day, Farms, Food, and You sat down with Dr. Elsa Youngstead of NC State's Urban Ecology Lab to learn more about bees in North Carolina, why they are important, and how we can help foster their continued population with gardens and bee hotels. Yeah, so my lab um, started in 2018, and we're an urban ecology lab. I'm especially interested in plant-insect interactions in urban environments and insect ecology in cities. So we study bees and ants and you know, potentially other insects to be, <laughs> to be determined. One thing we're particularly interested in is how urban warming affects insects. Because, of course, insects are, you can't see scare quotes in audio, but <laughs> insects are kind of known as cold-blooded animals. Like their metabolism, their body temperature depends partly on the environmental temperature. So urban warming makes their, metab- makes their bodies get hotter and their metabolisms increase. And so just the very urban environment could change the way their bodies work, the way they do business in the world, the amount they need to eat, when they're able to be active, like everything about their life. And then there's also the potential that if cities are doing this to them, future warming outside of cities due to global climate change could have similar effects. So we're interested in the cities for their own sake, because most humans live in them, and then also um, as potential indicators of what's going to happen outside the cities in the future as the rest of the climate catches up to, you know, current urban temperatures. If you're wondering why Youngstead spends so much time worrying about ecology and insects in cities, it's because insects, especially pollinators, help sustain urban environments. There are a few reasons that pollinators in cities matter. Like a lot of the times we think about them being really important in agricultural systems outside the city, like they're out there pollinating our fruit and berry and nut crops. Um, But there also is a good amount of agriculture happening in cities and right around cities. Um, So a lot of the stuff you grow in sort of a home vegetable garden, whether it's, you know, blueberries or zucchini or pumpkins or even tomatoes um, benefit from having bees visit those flowers. Um, At least some tomato varieties will have, you know, bigger tomatoes or more tomatoes if those flowers get visited by insects than if they're just left to their own devices. Things like cucumbers and zucchini must be visited by insects to actually set fruit or to actually make that vegetable. Um, Same goes for blueberries. Anyway, I could list plants forever, but a lot of what we grow and eat in our home gardens depends on insect pollinators. And then a lot of the sort of remnant natural vegetation in urban areas also relies on insect pollinators to sustain its life cycle. Like about 80% of all plant species in the world use animal pollinators. And most of the time when we say an animal pollinator, we mean an insect. A lot of times we mean a bee. Um, Every now and then, you know, it's a bat or a hummingbird, (laughs) but bees are like the powerhouse pollinators. So all of that vegetation in cities, you know, in our green spaces and parks that we're not actively manicuring needs pollinators to visit its flowers so that it sets seed and can actually, you know, complete its life cycle. Creating spaces where bees can find nectar isn't just about helping pollinate. It's about survival for the bees themselves. So 
bees in particular need nectar and pollen sort of throughout their life cycle. The adult bees are drinking nectar kind of as their, you know, energy drink to fuel their flight throughout the day. Um, Something like a bumblebee is often only like less than an hour from starvation. Like they have such a high metabolism when they're flying, that they've got to be refueling constantly. So they need places to make pit stops to be able to drink some nectar. And then what they're really out there doing is not just feeding themselves, but collecting loads and loads of pollen to take back to the nest to feed the next generation. Um, So flowers are really important. Um, And I think that's probably the advice we hear the most often is like plant a pollinator garden, you know, have flowering trees, flowering shrubs, some kind of native perennials in your landscape that provide food from like now, I shouldn't say now, that provide food from anytime in late February up until first frost. Like the very first sort of ground nesting bees start showing up in, in the Piedmont of North Carolina by the end of February. And they need food as soon as they show up. So having insect-friendly flowers available in the landscape the entire growing season is one thing. Then bees don't just need food. They also need a place to nest. And for different bees, that means different things. About 70% of the native bees in North Carolina, of which there are about 560 species total, um, so about 70% of those actually nest in the ground. And then bumblebees are also their own kind of weird category. Um, Queen bumblebees spend the winter alone without a colony. And so they need places that they can kind of tuck into the leaf litter or some kind of like forest edge duff to overwinter. And then when they come out in the spring to find a place to make their colony for the year, it depends on the species exactly what they're looking for. Some of them like to nest in old birdhouses that haven't been cleaned out. Some of them nest in old rodent burrows underground. Some of them nest just kind of like under grass tussocks at the surface of the ground. People will occasionally find them like in the corner of a compost bin or tucked into some insulation and like an exposed, like somehow got into the corner of an attic or a shed. Um, So they vary, but the thing that they kind of all have in common is like they like a little mess around the edges. There's got to be something that's not perfectly manicured and tidy for them to find a place to sort of tuck in. Um, And then the last category of bees, the other kind of, we'll say 30%, so I've said 70% ground nesting plus bumblebees, which aren't a lot of species, so like small percentage, and then the rest, the other 30% or so, um, are the cavity nesting bees. And those are the ones who will live in things like bee hotels. So their natural nesting substrate is like, hollow stems or beetle holes in dead wood, um, any kind of like natural tunnel. They don't drill it themselves, um, but they find sort of pre-existing nooks and crannies and tunnels and use them to build their nests. And so for them, again, leaving a little bit of mess some kind of untrimmed perennial stems, if you have a garden, um, is a good thing for them. Leaving dead wood around, if there's a place you can leave it, is a good thing for them. But then also bee hotels um, are a fairly popular substitute. It's basically like a birdhouse only for bees. And you put in either some of your trimmed stems or um, like purchased reeds, any sort of or drilled blocks, um, like blocks of wood that you've drilled holes into. And any of those can kind of substitute for natural nesting substrates that have been cleaned up in our urban environment. 
Besides adding a cool feature to your garden, bee hotels give places for solitary bees to lay their eggs and house them for the next year while they mature. So most of the bees in North Carolina will make, they'll collect nectar and pollen and mix it together and make it into kind of a little loaf in the nest. And then the female bee will lay an egg on that little loaf and then she will kind of partition it off into its own sort of chamber in the nest. Um, if it's something like a bee hotel where she's just building in a tunnel, like she'll go to the back, make her pollen provision, lay an egg on it, and then build a wall. She'll never see who hatches out of that egg. Um, then she'll repeat. She'll make another pollen loaf, which is, you know, another several dozens or even hundreds of foraging trips, depending on who she is and what kind of pollen she's collecting. Lay an egg, build another wall, and repeat until that nest is full. And then if she's still strong at the end of that, maybe she'll find a new nest and repeat. Um, so depending on the bee, one individual like solitary female bee might lay, lay sort of four to 12-ish eggs in her lifetime. I don't remember like the top end record, but it's not a lot. Like she needs, she really needs two to survive to sort of replace her and the father bee. Um so there, there should be some extras there, which is good because a lot of times, you know, you'll have some succumb to diseases or parasites or, you know, too hot or too cold nest conditions. Um, so that's what the nest is for, is like the, the safe place for those bee babies to develop. Like the eggs that hatch out um, will then eat that pollen provision that their mom left for them. They'll pupate and then they'll just wait depending on the kind of bee, they might be in there basically a whole year. Like a lot of bees just have one generation per year. So the bees who are just coming out in the early spring, a lot of them only have one generation per year. So they're going to do all of their pollen and nectar collecting now, lay their eggs now. Those larvae will eat all of their nectar and pollen in the next few weeks. And then they'll just kind of be waiting for <laughs> until next spring. So even though we only see the adults out flying around for, um, you know, a few weeks or a couple of months, the immatures are like still there underground or inside that nest tunnel the whole rest of the year, even when we're not seeing them. Creating a bee hotel is easy and fun. Youngstead and her team developed a step-by-step instruction booklet that you can find on her lab site titled How to Operate a Successful Bee Hotel. You can Google it or find it in the show notes. Beyond supporting native wasp and bee populations, bee hotels are also entertaining and provide opportunities to learn about pollinators close up. By installing these nesting sites in your yard and observing their residents, you can learn about native pollinator diversity and how the variety of food and flora we enjoy in our gardens, markets, parks, and green spaces are linked to pollination services provided by hotel residents. The booklet also includes information about maintaining the bee hotels to ensure a healthy bee population. What you don't want to do is just make a bee hotel and stick it out there and forget about it because most of the species who will live in it normally are living kind of dispersed in the landscape. Like they'll find a hole in a piece of wood over here or a hollow stem over there. And then by the next year, like that nest isn't really attractive anymore and the next generation will go somewhere else. Whereas in a bee hotel, you're concentrating a lot of neighbors in one place. And if you don't clean it out every couple years, 
any diseases or parasites or mites that they had kind of tend to accumulate. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing to put them. Um, We do have evidence that if, you know, a a well-curated bee hotel can increase bee populations, but it's not something necessarily to take lightly. And you may decide that it's easier to, like, leave some unpruned stems in the corner or some dead wood somewhere else than to actually, you know, put in this thing and have to take care of it. (laughs) That's my... My recommendations, like have flowers throughout the growing season and have nesting resources by like leaving some mess. If you've got some bare soil, leave it undisturbed. If you have natural um, sort of cavity substrates, leave them undisturbed. If you don't, you can add them to your landscape um, in some kind of insect hotel. Thank you for joining us on Farms, Food and You. This podcast is a product of NC State Extension and the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at North Carolina State University. If you would like to support the show, please share this episode on social media and leave a review on your podcasting app of choice. We'd love to hear from you. Let's talk soon.